0: Have you ever heard a musical artist described as having great chops? What does that mean? Well, the term chops is slang in the music business that refers to an artist that has developed great skills over time, whether they are a musician, composer, producer, or other titles associated with the music business. This is Scott Grimaldi, your host of Got Chops. Join me as I interview one musical artist per episode that I've had the pleasure of either performing, recording, or work with in my career. Plus, I'll be interviewing artists I've always wanted to speak with. We'll discover how each artist developed their chops, listen to their stories, and much more. This is Got Chops. According to a New Jersey Jazz Society review, today's guest artist has garnered a widespread reputation as a first-rate vocalist. She has fronted legendary big bands that include the iconic Benny Goodman and Nelson Riddle orchestras, and is a sought-after vocal coach for more than three decades. She has an unmistakable sound that separates her from other vocalists, as you can tell from the track I'm playing right now of her singing. I'm proud to say that we have played on many gigs together throughout the years, in addition to recording on her first studio album that she asked me to be her producer and arranger. Without a doubt, this lady's got chops. Please welcome my good friend, Sandy Sasso. Good morning, Sandy. Are you there?
1: I am, Scott. I am here.
0: This is a great thrill for me. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview with me. We've known each other for years, but now I would really like to introduce you to the world of people that don't know you. Um, That's probably far less than the people that do know you, so um, uh, thank you. I can't thank you enough for doing this.
1: Oh, that was really kind, Um, and of course, you know, anything involving you, I'm right in, so it doesn't matter.
0: Well, thank you very much.
1: Well, we've known each other a long time, long time.
0: So I have a, a number of questions that I'm sure my audience is going to really um, appreciate um, hearing the answers to. So what does the musical slang Got Chops mean to you?
1: Well, for me, actually, for me personally, it means the lack of fear to try something new. Uh, you want you want to stretch yourself out of your comfort zone. Now, this goes without saying that you have the skill and the ability to achieve that. You can't just, you know, jump off a cliff and expect to fly. You have to have some kind of preparation. You have to know where you're going, what your voice can handle, what your thoughts are. But I like the, the concept of flying by the seat of my pants, as you may remember, and I like that, you know, that, that fearless feeling. I, I really do. That's, to me, that's the chops.
0: Absolutely. I agree. Uh, do you have any philosophies or catchphrases?
1: Yeah, I have one, and I use it um, for everything—not just my music, but I use it in every minute of my life. And and that is, go for it and let the chips fall where they may. I live by that.
0: Wow, great! So uh, you (laughs) not always. (laughs) That's okay. But um, so that's what you um, you do in conversation with the guys on the bandstand, or with Charlie, your husband, or your students.
1: Yeah, yeah. I tell, especially my students, go for it. Take the chance. Allow yourself to stumble. Allow yourself to make the mistake, because then you, then you know how to correct it. You know, I mean, if you stay in that comfort zone too much, you'll never know what what you can do.
0: Absolutely, I agree. Um, let's see here. What was the pivotal moment you knew you were going to do music as a career?
1: Okay, this is really easy. When I first sang at P.S. Number no. Nine in Port Reading, which is where I grew up it was the school's policy that on rainy days uh, when the kids couldn't go play outside in the, in the playground, during lunch we have the entire school go into the auditorium and anybody who wanted to entertain could go up on the stage and do their thing. You could do magic, you could recite, you could read a poem, you could do a little tap dance. I sang lollipop a cappella, which was a big hit at the time and the minute the kids clapped for me at the end of the song. I was just bitten by that bug and there was no turning back. So I was young. I was young and I said, Oh, this, I got to do this forever. This is really cool.
0: (laughs) Well, I know the song. I know the feeling. And I've heard that song. I mean, uh, that song. And I've heard that same type of scenario from other people that were asked the same question. And, as soon as you get the appreciation and the accolades from the audience, it's like, yeah, I think this is what I want to do. I understand that. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. It's very heady. You know, it's really exciting when all of a sudden you look out and there's a couple hundred kids clapping for you. Like, you know, wow.
0: Oh, absolutely. Really great. <laughs> and if you don't mind me sharing, um, I know when you went to high school, uh, one of your classmates was a little unknown person by the name of Bruce Springsteen.
1: Yes, he was. Bruce and I knew each other for four years. Um, we have a little bit of history, but that's not my place to talk about right now. But yeah, I went to school for four years. He knows me, and I know him. And I have to say, as an aside, I'm very proud of his achievement. He is uh, big. You know, he's big. He's like Frank Sinatra, big. He'll never ever diminish because he's made such a huge impact. And in high school, you would have you would have walked past him and not looked twice. He was just quiet, shy. You know, unassuming, kind of a little funky haircut, you know. But, you know, I mean, we weren't buddies. We didn't hang out. We'd pass each other and say, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? That was about the extent of it. I was in a different, completely different circle than he was. But, uh, yeah, I know him well.
0: But musically, did you ever uh, play together or do any any uh, dances where you were in his band or he was in your band or something like that?
1: No, no, he was, we, back in the day, we had, divi- you know, divisions of greasers, rockers, Um, The college prep crowd, the music crowd, he was a greaser and I was in music theater. So we were on completely different ends of the spectrum musically. So no, I never, I didn't even know he was a musician until he started to become, you know, a little bit famous. And I said, I would have never known that about him.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, thanks. That's, That's a great story right there. Um, okay, uh, what musical artists were you inspired by early on, and are they the same artists that continue to inspire you today?
1: You know, Scott, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I was, I, as a young singer, I mean young, like not even working professionally, just as a kid messing around, I gravitated right away to the vocalist, but the first singer that turned my head was Astra Gilberto, which is mm. probably very unusual, because I was just a kid. I was, maybe I was twelve. I mean, that's that's young to be turned on by Astro Gilberto. Then, of course, naturally Ella, because you can't be a singer and not have some connection to Ella Fitzgerald. And at the same time... I really took a liking to Joe Williams. And I met Joe, and I sang with Joe at one time. So that was pretty cool. I dig John Lucien. I like Mark Murphy. I love Mark Murphy. I studied with Mark Murphy for a while. Um, I still love these singers, as, of course, most of them are gone, or many of them are gone. But they still touch me. You know, they still touch me because the purity of what they do. You know, there's no frills. There's no nonsense. They just sing the song. And that's what I tell people. I tell my voice students. Just sing the song. Don't worry about all the decorations, okay?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Did you grow up in a musical household?
1: Yeah, I did grow up in a musical household. My mom and dad both sang, and they both had really great voices. And my mom played a little bit of ragtime piano, and my dad played very bad violin, but yes. (laughs) Wow. Poor thing. Sorry, Dad.
0: (laughs) Probably like me, you thought everyone's parents you know, all played instruments or sang, and when you got to school and you found out, no, I think you're the only one, that was a weird experience, right?
1: Yeah, except that my parents did, you know, like they would sing in the church choir for a while and, you know, they were always singing with their friends, you know, of course, that was, I'm sure, fueled by a little seven and seven, which was the big drink back in the day, seven and seven. Mm-hmm. Or what was, what did they drink back then? I think Manhattan's was another thing. And, you know, you get a couple of drinks and four or five you know, couples and they're all singing their hearts out. That's what they did. They hung around, they played some cards, they drank a little, they sang. It was really, you know, you could hear it from down the hallway in the bedroom. It used to just make me very, very comforted knowing that all that good stuff was happening down the hallway.
0: Yes, absolutely. You mentioned uh, Mark Murphy as one of your uh, vocal coaches. Um, what age did you begin to study privately? And on the piano, of course, you what you play, you're a vocalist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who else did you study from?
1: Well, I started studying at piano at six, taking, taking lessons literally from my aunt across the street because that's what you did back then. But as a singer, uh, certainly in college because I was a voice major, but I studied with um, uh, my, tech, my technical training was very classical, and, and I studied with a woman called Joan Monticevich, which I'm sure very few people know, but she was amazing, and that was very early, early on. And then for a while, I studied and sang with Chan Parker, a.k.a. Charlie Parker's wife. So that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. And then, in fact, I I went to France and hung out with her for a while in her little French house in uh, Chamatou, which is about an hour south of Paris. That was really cool. And then I started studying with Mark Murphy. I didn't study with him long because he was not really well. Uh, He was not in good physical health when I started to work with him. So that was a very short time, but it was still very, very cool. So I I consider those those people and that experience – really what kind of turn me around. And the other thing, Scott, you got to listen. You got to listen, mm-hmm. no matter who it is, even if it's not a good singer, you got to listen, because there's always some kind of little kernel hanging around that you can pick up for yourself. And of course, you know, you've got to listen to the musicians, because there's always something jumping off from one of the cats. So.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. I know. Um, <laughs> what did all those uh, different mentors and teachers give you? Did they give you different things or the same things in different ways and forms?
1: No, they gave me colors, lots of colors, lots of different colors to think about when I sing. Um, Certainly, my technical training was all about my breathing and my physical technique, which is, I think, probably one of the prime reasons why at this age and this many years singing, I'm still singing. I mean, you know, this is an old voice And an older body, and I'm still able to do what I did back in the day because of that physical train, that that, uh, strident, strident, rather, technique that I got at school. I mean, you know, it was all classical, so, you know, it was a whole different, you know, it's not just like somebody learns to sing a song and gets on stage. I mean, I knew how to breathe. I knew how to stand. I knew how to reach for a note. I knew all that. They taught me that which was really pretty cool. And in retrospect, at the time, I just thought it was a bunch of hoo-ha. But, you know, now that I've been using it for so many years, I think, oh, thank God. Thank God I had that technique built into me.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm always telling my students that if you want to be a great jazz artist, and a lot of them, that's what they want to do, you really have to consider studying classical. You know, I went Mm -hmm. to Berklee College of Music for jazz. I went to Manhattan School of Music for classical. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean... This is what my teachers suggested that I do. And I always say, thank God I did all that because it's mm-hmm. opened a lot of doors. And it seems like you think that it's the same thing. You believe the same things. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Without my classical background, first of all, because that's what I studied in piano, I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I can chord and play a little jazz, but I'm not really a strong pianist. Unless I have a book in front of me and I'm reading the classics, then, then I can play. But if somebody said improvise it, it I, I could do it, but it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be pretty. Let me just put it that way.
0: <laughs> yeah, but when it comes to your vocal ability, you're doing that and you're an, an expert at that. So let me ask you. Thank you, Scott. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Um, okay. How long did you practice your voice and your piano per day when you began to get serious about music and music studies? <laughs>
1: Well, I'll tell you the truth, and people don't want to hear this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I practice very inconsistently. Sometimes I don't do it for days. Sometimes I do it all day. It's got to be, all right, get to the piano, which for me is the hardest part. Go sit at the piano and start to practice. Once I'm at my instrument, I- I'm good for hours and hours and hours. All of a sudden, like, it's dark out, and I'm like, oh, what happened? But And then there's days, days I don't even go near it. I don't even go into my studio. You know, I just... Walk right past the room. But, you know, that's how I am. I'm, it's either I'm in the mood or I'm not in the mood. But, you know, I sing a lot. So I'm kind of practicing on the spot. So, you know, when I'm gigging or when I'm, I'm, I'm in church, in fact, I had to sing this morning. I was just came back from church because I do the choir there. So that's, and that's hard singing. You know, that's up in the clouds kind oh, yeah. of stuff. Yeah. You know, they write like, you know, high E's and high F's are part of the normal church music. So that whole part of my voice gets a real strong workout weekly.
0: Well, you said something that uh, young musicians, unfortunately, right now, uh, do not have the same experiences that you and I had. Where, oh, I'm on the road with a big band. Uh, oh, yes. I'm playing clubs six nights a week. Yep. Oh, I'm in the studio five nights or five days a week, and you're constantly, yeah. you know, working on your chops. Uh, yeah. Today, they've got to practice uh, and play, you know, in the comfort of their own home with recording equipment and, you know, get inspired by that, but it's a shame, you know, they don't have the same opportunities that we did back then.
1: I know, and I imagine for these musicians, especially the younger ones, it must be really tough, uh, because first of all, the whole thing about being in the band, on the bandstand, doing whatever the kind of the gig is, a club date, a wedding, or a concert, whatever it is, you know how much fun we have. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, half music and half laughing, you know, yeah. and and busting each other. I mean, that's what we do.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> and, and to be, thought I'm well good to have a nice recording set up in your basement, but you got to be out with the people. You got to connect with the people. You got to talk. You got to breathe the same air. It's really, really the only way it, it, it makes you for a rounded, you know, musician.
0: Absolutely. You talked about going to college and studying. Um, So you were a music major in college, where did you go and what degrees did you receive?
1: Well, I started out as a voice major and a piano minor at Westminster Choir College in Princeton. So uh, that was a, an amazing two years. One of the things that I loved about Westminster and one of the things that I did not like about Westminster, uh, which is why I left after two years, was you were immediately into the, either the uh, church organist program or the teaching. So I said, all right, let me go into the teaching. One of the things I loved about Westminster was I student taught my second year there, the second semester, the whole second semester, I taught at Princeton Elementary School. It was, an, I mean, normally you don't get to do that till you're a senior. You start teaching in your sophomore year at Westminster, and I had three classes at Princeton Elementary School, and I taught them every week. Wow. And once I did, yeah, and I did that, and um, I was really good at it, and the principal offered me a job on the spot, and I hated the politics, and I said, I'm, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't, I could see it. And I was just only in there for a few hours a day. And there was so much going on. So after my second year, I said, A, I'm not going to be an opera singer. B, I don't think I want to teach in a school system. And I know you do. I know a lot of my friends do. And so I, and C, I need to go out and start to practice singing and build up my chops. So I hit the road, never looked back. And then ultimately, I got the bug. I said, you know, I got two years into this. Let me finish my degree. So I did. I went back to Monmouth University, and um, I got my Bachelor of Arts, um, magna cum laude, by the way, um, in communication with a theater concentration. And I was the last student to be awarded that specific degree. So that was very cool, wow. uh, Bachelor of Arts in Communication with a theater concentration, yeah. And I graduated with high honor, so that was really, really cool. <laughs> Excellent. Ah, she's smart, she's not just a pretty face.
0: Exactly, exactly. So speaking about CHOPs, how did you develop the personal discipline to develop your CHOPs? And is there anything in your upbringing that seemed tied to development of personal discipline?
1: Yeah. Uh, I grew up uh, uh, – my dad was a plumber. I was a blue-collar kid growing up in a real tough little Italian neighborhood, and you develop chops at a very young age. Otherwise, you'd get the stuffing kicked out of you. You had to be strong. You had to be tough. My mother made me have a set of chores daily. I knew I had to work. That was what I wanted to do to get my allowance, which, by the way, was 25 cents a week, which is <laughs> hysterical. Yeah, well, that, that buys a lot of penny candy, 25 cents a week, you know. Yes. And I had uh, specific chores I had to do. My mother and dad were not um, pushovers, but they weren't too tough either, but they kept me on the straight and narrow. I was a pretty wild kid, as you could probably figure out by my personality. Now I was, you know, I was pretty wild and, you know, kind of flew like the wind and, uh, I had to do certain things and I had to get things done. It was expected of you and all the kids in my neighborhood were the same. And, you know, while, while not getting hit, You know, like my parents didn't believe in it. I I would get a crack once in a while from my mom if I really pushed her to the edge. And I I can remember when I tell people that they're like, oh, my God, that's horrible. And I say, no, it wasn't. Because when my mother picked her hand up to me, I knew well and good I deserved it. And that's the difference. It was rare. It was very rare. I can probably count it on... My whole life growing up on one hand, the time that my mother would give me a whack. But uh, my father never. He would never raise his hands to me. But my mom, she was quick. Uh, But that's because I pushed her right over the edge. And when it happened, I'd go, okay, well, she warned you, and now you got it. But that's how it was. It was discipline. It was hard work. It was no nonsense. Or you paid the price. And I'm grateful, really grateful, Scott. My parents are tough, tough Italian, blue-collar Italians. and It was great.
0: I had the same upbringing. I tell my students that, and their jaws dropped. Oh, my God, you know. Uh, did you call Difus? No, there's no Difus. There was no Difus? That that's, no that's the way it was. So let me ask there was you, no Difus? <laughs> right. What's Difus? So God. let me ask you. Um, do you have any daily routines?
1: Um, My daily routines are not usually re- revolve around music. They are always a workout in the morning or sometime during the day uh cleaning my house that's a daily routine i'm italian this is what i do thinking about the meal i'm italian this is what i do hanging out with charlie you know my husband of god how many years are we married now let me think a long time oh i know 50 years wow (gasps) can you believe it i know really we're like dinosaurs nobody's married 50 years anymore
0: if anyone out there uh knows who charlie is you know how long they've been together, as Sandy just said. But uh, Charlie's an excellent guitarist, and uh, we've gigged together many times also. Please tell Charlie I said hi.
1: I will. He is He is a wonderful guitar player, and that's how I met him. Like, I'm, I'm going to divert a little bit sure, off the story. no problem. I had just moved to Staten Island. I had left home. I was 19. I had 68 bucks in my pocket. I had no idea where I was going. Landed in Staten Island. The first job I could get was as a waitress because you had to have money and I figured if I was a waitress I'd have food which I did and my girlfriend got a job as a waitress the two of us we had this really crummy apartment that had roaches in it and but hey we were 19 and we were on our own and we were flying high and I worked at this really far out place that had a piano bar and at the piano bar was Charlie and it was the, the Charlie the CR Trio Charlie It's the CR Trio and that's how I met Charlie I said hmm it's kind of cute. Plus, and I know this sounds really shallow, he had a red Corvette, and that was candy. <laughs>
0: oh, boy. Let me ask you, did you ever struggle with boredom? Uh, and if so, how did you overcome the, the desire to avoid practice in your formative years?
1: Uh, no, I never struggled with boredom at all. Um, my nature, and you probably know this because we spent so much time together, my nature is um, my eyes open, and I'm going, I'm in fifth gear, All day long until they close. I am flying as many hours as I'm awake. That's how many hours I'm zipping around doing something. I don't think I've ever been bored that I can think of in my natural life. There's, I'm just, my mind is, my mind is very fast. It's always like, I'm doing this. I got to do this. I got to go here. I got to do this. I got to do that. And of course, to, to the chagrin of my poor Charlie, who is completely the opposite person, he's laid back and he's mellow and I'm flying around him like a, you know, like a whirling dervish all the time.
0: What was the defining moment you knew you were really good at your craft, thus achieving your chops?
1: Oh man. Well, I'd have to say really when the big name band started calling me and um, had heard of me and wanted to work with me. And then the quality, quality musicians that I really didn't know, uh, they started calling me to work with them as well. And that was very, very heady stuff. People that I had admired, people that I had heard of, and they said, you know, I just got your name from such and such. But you know, that's how it worked. Can you do a gig for me Tuesday? Can you do it? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And then that started to bring me up a level. And that, that action brought me up another level. And then you started to, you know, settle into your own place and time at these different levels. I mean, certainly I'm not a, a household name. Not that many people know who I am. I'm, you know, I'm known, but I'm not well known. I'm not famous, but I have a, a pretty good pedigree. So I'm, I'm pretty cool in my place.
0: Well, and then you uh, kept, Climbing and climbing and climbing, and then, uh, voila, you produce four studio albums. So can you talk about those four studio albums?
1: Of course I can. (laughs) Try and get me not to talk about my four (laughs) albums. Well, the first one, you know well and good, my sweet boy, is because you produced it for me and walked me through the whole process of how to do a CD, which I knew nothing. I was such a country bumpkin. And, I mean, how many times did I melt down in the studio because I just didn't know what I was doing? And you being you kept me right on track. I learned everything I needed to know as when we got done with that disc, which is still to this day. I can't tell you how many reprints I've had on that one disc called Mixed Grill. It was one of my best pieces of work. I loved it. And then I started with – then I went to a, a pure jazz CD because uh, Mixed Grill had a lot of big bands on it. Then I went to a jazz CD um, with Jack Kreisberg. He helped me do that, and that was great because I had Grady Tate on that. We did a wonderful duet on that, and that CD was got between Nick Grill and All My Men, which is what the second CD was called. It got a lot of airplay. It was on BGO a lot. My third CD I did, it was called Sandyland. It didn't get the press that I had hoped it would get, and I, I, I think that maybe, if I have to be honest, I think it was the weakest CD. I had a really bad studio, a guy, and he was just um, he really put it did a bad job for me, and I couldn't get it right. I couldn't get it the way I wanted it, no matter what I did. And so that was a little disappointing, even though there's quite a few songs on there that I think are exceptional. And I did some originals that are on that particular disc that are really exceptional, but it just didn't get the airtime that the other first two did. And then I did another one called um, Hands On, and that was completely my effort, my producing, my writing, my arranging, instrumentation, calling the musicians, sitting in the studio with Joe and um, Joe from Surefire Studios in Long Branch, because we have to talk about Joey because he's such a sweetheart. And I really, other than Joe, did the whole thing, did the arrangements, did everything. And that's one of my my prime pieces. It's a great al- it's a great album. I really, well, I like all my work. I have to say, I like all my work. But by and large, I think that had I had I been a little more forceful with the third one, it would have turned out as good as the first, second, and fourth. But, hey, you know what? It's a learning process. Sometimes it just, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you spend and who, who the cats are, and these are all great cats on these, these albums, sometimes it just isn't going to gel the way you want it to gel, and you've got to take the shot in the jaw and move on, which is what I did. And then I put out Hands On, which is really, really good. If I do say so myself.
0: <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if we're independent artists like... Um you and I or people that have really big you know recording contracts there's always a few albums or more where it goes nowhere and so we all experience the same thing so you mentioned some of the iconic artists that you perform with could you name a couple of more of the uh, the band leaders and uh, who you're currently working with
1: yeah, well, in in the days when I was going out as a side man, almost exclusively, um, i you know, I was on the road with the uh, Benny Goodman tribute band. Um, it was oh, who did that? Everett Longstretch, he was leading it at the time. Great band, great cats. Uh, Jimmy Dorsey band with Lee, was led at the time by Lee Castle, uh, a crazy man. Yes, crazy man. I remember
0: him. Great. Yep.
1: I know, great band. Then Nelson Riddle band led by his son Chris. That was wonderful. Again, you know, 17 musicians, 16 musicians, all Cracker Jack cats. Uh, I sang with Joe Williams at the Blue Note. That was really a thrill. I sang with Bobby Short. I, Grady Tate did my CD. Um, I did a President Reagan's inaugural um, scores with scores of incredible jazz cats. I mean, I still do. I still work with these amazing guys. I, I did my own tour in Brazil. I toured in France. I toured on the Caribbean islands. So, you know, I'm okay. I got a little bit of a they got a little bit of a pedigree, and, and, and that's good. And I keep waiting, you know, I mean, I can't even name the cats that I work with that are so amazing. I mean, names that most people, except for the inner jazz circle, would not know because mm-hmm. they're not famous on their own. They're sidemen. Right. They're exceptional sidemen. But, you know, it's not like you say, oh, Diana Krall. Okay, we know who she is. Well, who's her bass player? Who's her drummer? Who's her, you know, <laughs> you don't know. You don't hear that. You hear Diana Krall's name or, you know, other names like that, but you don't always know who's behind her. And that's who I have. I have all these amazing musicians that I work with consistently. And, you know, it's great and a whole lot of fun, needless to say.
0: It's funny because my wife and I went to the PNC Arts Center last week and um, we had tickets to go see James Taylor. He's got Blue Lou Marini on saxophone, who is the original saxophonist with SNL. He was a blues brother. Uh, everybody who's anybody. And the, the drummer, I'm going, wait a minute. That's Steve Gadd. I mean who's who in the drum world we worked together many years ago in recording sessions and yeah yeah, again i went to uh, the couple we were with that we were with i said these are like uh, you know extraordinary musicians and some of which i've worked with and people don't know who they are you know but without them you know he does you know his band doesn't sound as good
1: yeah yeah i know but, like, most people would not know, unless you're in the business, who Steve Gatt is. Most people wouldn't know. <laughs> exactly. You know, because he's, I mean, we know that he's a monster. I mean, you know, I mean, Marcus McLaurin did a lot of my bass work on my CDs. Who, who knows Marcus McLaurin? Right. If you're a jazz musician, you know who he is. You know who uh, Carlton Holmes is. Carlton Holmes did a lot of my work. If you're not in the music business, you're not going to know who these cats are. And these are monster players. That's right. You know, Gary Maseropi on bass. Gary did a lot of my work. I mean, you know, uh, Bill Easley. Bill Easley did almost all my uh, horn work on my last three albums. I mean, who who knows Bill Easley unless you're in the business?
0: Exactly. You know, they
1: don't. Ca- and that's what that's what the music business is made up of: scores and scores and scores of incredibly talented cats. Mm-hmm. And 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 for us because we get to hang out and play with them.
0: Oh, and hanging out is one of the best parts. So, speaking of these monster musicians. How would you describe the feeling of locking in with these musicians and with whom do you feel the sense of playing in the zone most profoundly?
1: Oh gosh, I lock in two ways. One is I relax and the other way is I control. And that's a real fine balance, especially with the big bands, as you know. I conduct all my own charts. I get the guys in, I get the guys out. But because I know my charts so well, I can do it. Um... Except sometimes the trumpet section is a little troublesome. They can be the cats and jammer kids. And you know just who I'm
0: talking about. The trouble kids, yes.
1: (laughs) The trouble (laughs) kids. But they're such amazing players, and I love them all so much. And I do. I have a deep affection for everybody that's involved in my life musically because it's not just doing a gig. There's a warmness. There's a love. There's a, a respect. You know, with every one of the cats that I've worked with, except for a couple of morons down the line, but they come and go, so it doesn't really matter <laughs> because they are out there. The, the few that really stink on the, on the gig. But what are you going to do? Oh, but yeah, um You know. You know. I mean, that's just how it is. It's just how it is. And I I am very easy to work with, but I know what I want. And because um I'm professional and I'm kind to the men, they um listen to me. And when I say this is where I want it. no, I want you to pick that up, watch out, or I'll yell to my drummer, don't let it crawl. That means stay on, especially on a ballad, stay on that time, don't lose the time, you know, things like that. And they know, they know exactly what I want, and they deliver. And because of that, I can relax. And when I can relax, then we're just all, one. it's just one sound, it's one thing. You know, it just kind of comes out as one beautiful color is what it does.
0: Absolutely, and I'm going to... uh... I'm gonna tell my audience a little bit more about you based on what you just said. Uh, You're one of two vocalists that I can sincerely say commands the audience's attention and commands Mm -hmm. the respect of the musicians. You know the music inside and out. Um, I can't say that about a lot of vocalists. You're one of two. The other musician, the other great vocalist, like yourself, is when I was working with Aretha Franklin. She knew the music. Oh, uh, she geez. told her conductor. The conductor knew what she wanted. She would turn to the musicians. Um, she she commanded, you know, control throughout the whole thing. But that's why she was tops. And I hold you in the same high regard.
1: Boy, Scott, you just made my the hair stand up on my arms. Wow, that was really amazing to be even mentioned in the same breath with her because she is the queen she's the queen nobody can touch her but and that's in terms of you know running the show and that's but you know i've been doing it a long time and i learned i learned from having i had a couple of bands early on that just just did their own thing and you know i didn't know how to control it i was a young singer what did i know yep. i learned quick though i learned quick
0: well again it comes from your background you you're not yeah. uh, a quote-unquote just a vocalist you're a musician And uh, you paid your dues and you hung with the guys in the band and you saw how things worked. And uh, in order to be a great leader, you have to be a great sideman. And I know you and I have talked about that quite a lot. So um, and you're still doing the same thing. So anyone out there that hasn't seen Sandy Sasso perform, uh, go and find out where she's performing and we'll talk about that at the end of the show and certainly get her cds get you know they're phenomenal so let me ask you this i i i know the answer already uh all artists take music seriously as we just talked about but do you incorporate humor in your career as well
1: oh god you know i do i know i'm probably one of the funniest people to work with
0: oh absolutely
1: out there out there i mean i have the guys in the band cracking up through the whole gig. I mean, there's always something going on, and I include the audience in it. So everybody's – I mean, I, there's 600 people out there in the field, as you can get on these summer concerts, um, not so much this year because everyone's just coming out of the woods after COVID, but, you know, they are privy to the joke just like the guys in the back. And, I mean, it's, you know, it's constant. I mean, it's there's, there's almost a joke between every song or like a kibitzing around or laughing about something – the humor part is so who I am, but you know that. I mean, just when we recorded the first CD, we laughed practically through the whole session, night after night after night after night. There was Absolutely. some funny stuff going on. <laughs> I'm laughing now.
0: <laughs> so speaking of the word funny, uh, could you share a few funny stories about the music business or musicians or anything like that, or even if it's not funny?
1: Well, I think, I can't even come up with one particular thing because it's it's a constant stream of joy and laughing and working and being serious, but it's a constant stream of just – I wouldn't want to say horsing around because that gives the impression that we're not serious about it because we are – but it's just a joyous experience to be on the bandstand with these guys. Now, this is assuming when I'm the leader. When I'm a sideman, you know, I mean, I have my personality kind of bubbles out anyway. It's who I am. But i got to tone it down because I'm a sideman. I'm not the band leader. But even as a sideman, there's kibitzing going on back and forth and this and that. But when I'm a leader on the band, which is most of the time, it's just a whole bunch of fun. It just... Just is, and I mean, any story you can think of in your head has happened. (laughs) It has happened. The only thing I can think of that really stands out, and this was many, many years ago, when I went down to do Ronald Reagan's inaugural ball with um the Dorsey Band. First time I got on the tour bus with the guys, and uh, I was it. I was the only female, and much, much younger, very young, and um they held nothing back, and I was a little like okay, I mean, they were going to be who they were going to be, whether I was on the front of the bus or not. So I got, a, I got an earful for all those hours down and all those hours back. But by the time I got back in the bus, because I had my, my own vocal charts, so I counted off my own vocal charts. I didn't use the Dorsey charts. So by the time I got back in the bus, it was a whole different scene. I was pretty much accepted. I wouldn't say I was one of the cats, but I was on my way. And that's really where I started to get what I had to do to make it happen. And, you know, I was young and so pretty back then and, you know, all that stuff. So it all worked in my favor.
0: <laughs> well, that's exactly what I said before, that you command the uh, the attention of the audience and the respect of the musicians, and everyone sits up straight when you come on out. They know that you know everything that they're going to be playing. You know the chart inside and out and don't mess up.
1: Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, that's, and it can happen. People make mistakes, but those things don't count. Of that's course. just being a human being. You know, you don't even consider that. You're just being a human being.
0: So but, with that being said, how would you label yourself in the music business?
1: You know, I thought about that when you had sent me a few questions to ponder, and I said, now, how do I talk about this? I, I'm a working singer, okay? I've been a working singer for 52 years. That's a very long career for a singer. Uh, I think I'm singing as well as I ever did, maybe some days better, but when I step out of myself and look at myself honestly, you know, step away from myself and just look at me as something different, I think that I'm better than most, but not as good as some, and that's really how I can define myself. It may sound strange, but I think it's accurate. I think I hold a very specific place in the business, but there's people that are better than me.
0: So have you had to adapt or change your music career throughout the years?
1: You know what, Scotty? No, I haven't. I haven't changed a thing other than to add some new tunes to my book. I'm what I am, period. Although, you know, as I get older, I can tell you one thing. I've stopped taking any, and I hope I can say this word, I've stopped taking any crap from band leaders that I work with. Uh, You know, when I was young, I'd keep my mouth shut even when I was being mistreated, which would happen because I was afraid I wouldn't work again. I didn't want them to not call me again. Now, if, if I'm in a situation where I'm not liking it, I give it right back to them knowing I can walk at any time. And that's a nice part of being older and securing your skill and secure at your level. You know who you are. Exactly. You know, As a young, young singer, 20, 21, you know, I mean, those guys would run roughshod over me. And I, I just kept my mouth shut because I, I, I didn't want to not work. I didn't want to not work. I didn't want them to not call me. And guess what? They did. They did. <laughs> and I said, oh, I see how this works. Little by little, that didn't come to me. It wasn't like a, you know... A, a shining moment it took me years to see what was going on and as I got better at what I was doing I realized I had I had something to offer and it had to be you know it had to be straight on or I'm not working with you because I've worked with some real morons in the business and we all have all of us Just really more yeah, they're out there
0: <laughs> oh yeah let me ask you how'd you do during COVID did it affect your career and your business and yeah what creative things did you do musically during that time to keep your spirits up
1: well, you know, it, it affected everybody, Scotty. Me, you, all my musician friends. I mean, I lost all of my private students. I lost all my gigs. Oh, man. Because, there were, well, it all it came crashing, I mean, Let's face it, there was no place to sing. The clubs were closed, the students. I couldn't have people in my studio if wondering, how, did, did they have COVID or are they getting I, vaccine? Yeah. I, and I couldn't get it. took me forever to get the vaccines for Charlie and I to get them. But my husband was on it twice a day, every site, until we, we got ours. Yep. But um, I'm back teaching again. My my students are, are back. Not all of them. I'm still waiting for a few. Uh, gigs are coming in. Um, you know, it's not as 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 busy or prolific as it was pre-COVID, but I'm working, and I'm really grateful for what's coming in because now I'm just starting to get calls. Bit, 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 bit. I had three last week and the week before. Bang. In seven days, I had three big band concerts. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I mean, that was wonderful. I've got one coming up on the 19th. I got something in October. I mean, so there it's spotty, but it's there. And that gives me a lot of hope that it's it's going to get back to it's normal, it's normal volume. But, you know what? It it may not. It may not either because a lot of my rooms, the rooms that I work in regularly, they're not bringing music in right now. I know. They don't want people in the lounges, you know. They'll serve a meal. Yeah, well, it's it's going to take a while. Yeah.
0: What do you wish you had known before when you first started out in the music business?
1: I tell you what, I wish I knew just how hard it was going to be for me, with no help from any outside source, to make a name for myself. You know, I had no publicist, I had no manager, I had no booking agent, I had no record label. I'm totally independent and everything I did, I did just on the strength of my own will. And the business is the business. You have got to take care of the business. So in the morning, I look through my book, who do I have to contact, who sent me an email with a question, when are you available, you know, you have to do the business end of the business. It is a music business. It is not, you know, going to shop for garden flowers. It's work it really is work and there are times when you're just like oh god I'm so sick of doing this but you know that's usually the time when it pays off and you book a really nice gig and you make a couple of bills and you're able to pay your sidemen decent you know so you, it's the business it's work it's hard work i didn't think i didn't think it was going to be this hard but it is
0: yeah so the answer is it's the music business if you knew about the music business then it would have been a little differently.
1: oh yeah it's it's business man it's just that it's a business and you have to be involved in it day-to-day the day-to-day act of handling everything connected to it you know i don't have anybody it's very hard sometimes and sometimes exhausting and it's frustrating but having said that there's nothing in this life that i would rather do i love being on stage i love working with my guys i love all of them i have a deep connection and affection with myself and girls that i've developed over many years and, you know and the stories oh my gosh the stories they go on forever 52 years of crazy stories of these guys.
0: Absolutely. So talking about going back in time, uh, if you knew back then what you know now, um, talking about young artists, what young musical artists are you presently inspired by or listening to?
1: You know, I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but there's really no one out there right now that's ringing my bell. There's a couple singers that I love, but they're all older. I love Katherine Russell. I love Diane Reeves. Uh, I really like Diana Krall, but these are women that are in in midlife. You know, I mean, these are not like young kids just coming out today. I'm not tuned into the young singers. When I hear them, I keep saying, yeah, but why are they singing it that way? I find a lot. And this is just me. This is my opinion. And that's all it is. It's my opinion. You know, it's like a belly button. Everybody's got one, you know, and this is mine. I find today, if I have anything to say about the young singers today, they decorate too much, you know, and that's me. I like sing the song. Don't add the whipped cream if you don't need to. And I find that a lot of singers add a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with what the body of the song is about. Now, that's not to say there are not some wonderful talents out there that I'm just not hip to. Of course there are. That's life. There's always going to be wonderful talent. I'm just not hip to anybody that's young, young and is doing anything that's making me go, oh, my God, this this singer is great. You know, and that goes for men and and men and women. All the men and women singers that I like are all older. You know, they're in their 50s, if not, if not younger, you know, late 40s, early 50s. But as far as young, young, young talent, I really don't. I'm not hip to it. I'm just not hip to it.
0: That's fine. That's fine. That's what this interview is all about, to find out who you are. So let me ask you something, because um, sometimes when you ask this type of question, one person has a different uh, thought of it. Do you remember how we met professionally? My God. (laughs) You
1: know, I I would have to assume it was on a gig. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean... Yes?
1: I, I, I can't... You know, I mean... I don't know, Sky, do you remember?
0: I do. It was with uh Nelson Riddle. We were playing outside.
1: I remember playing in I guess it was Hoboken overlooking the uh west side of Manhattan yeah. and it would always be Yeah. it would always be at the time of the day when the sun would hit the city and the city would be golden red. It was yes. Beautiful. Absolutely. And it was always that whatever time they booked the bands that always happened that sun was just starting to you know prepare to go to go down and the whole entire city was on fire with light and it was always so gorgeous i remember that i used to love that but i I don't remember was i here with chris riddle and maybe i guess i guess it was it was do you remember what year it was i can't even think
0: 1851 i think Probably. (laughs) And then we found out we were going to be together a number of more times with uh, Nelson Riddle. And then, then I think you booked me for your big band and then everything got rolling. One thing led to another. Yeah. So let me ask you, what advice could you share with someone that is listening to you right now, that is now is probably inspired by you, I'm sure of it, and is dreaming or thinking about doing the same thing that you do? Well,
1: here's my advice. Never give up. You follow your bliss no matter what obstacles are in your path because they will be. You've got to know that going in. It's not going to be a smooth walk. You will come out the other side and you will come out in a different place with a different set of skills. And uh, if you're lucky like I am with an arsenal of wonderful musicians at your side, but – if I, if I walked away every time I got a shot to the jaw, I'd never be where I am now. You've just got to roll with the punches, baby. You've got to roll with the punches.
0: One of the questions I ask at the top of all the artists is, what are your philosophies or catchphrases? And then we, as we go through the interview, I'm hearing all the things that it takes to become a great vocalist, a great musician. It's really blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, yeah. And then that's learning your music, your craft. Uh, learning yeah. the business. Okay, so I have a catchphrase that I think really ties in together everything you were talking about. So it goes like this: It's not my way; it's the way it is.
1: Oh, honey, that's a nice one. I'm um, wait. I'm going to write that down. It's not my way; it's the way it is. I'm stealing that. All right?
0: Okay. <laughs> but basically, if you were to say that, or someone else would say, it's like, no, I didn't invent two and two equals four. This is the way you do it. We're passing down a yeah. lineage to you. This is what you have to learn. This is the amount of time you have to put into it. And especially when you get knocked down and yeah. you want to get back yeah. up and you got to pull yeah. yourself up in order to do it. And then you have a little of success and then you get knocked down again.
1: Yeah, that's what it is. Right? Right. And, and you know, and it's not a personal thing. Don't take no. it personal. It's just, the, and that's that's a lot of people they get crushed. They get their ego gets crushed. And I told them, there's no room for ego in this, baby. You got to be. You got to just deal with it. You got to deal with it. You got to roll with the punches because they're. That's the business. It's a rough business. You know, I mean, how many people have been crumbled by this business? It's it's the way it is. But if you want to do it, the reward is so great and the fun is so much. And you know. If you're lucky, you'll make some money. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Right. And that's the way it is, as you said. So let me ask you, as we uh, come to the close of this great interview, and I can't thank you enough, um, do you have any music events, new projects, et cetera, coming up that you'd like to announce or share with the audience?
1: If you visit my website once in a while, you'll see what's been booked and what's posted. And this way, if you're around and it's open to the public, as most, most every single thing is, uh, you can scoot on down and check it out. And that would be that.
0: If you could uh, verbally give everyone your website.
1: It's www.sandysasso.com. Just pop my name in there. Be advised, though, there's another Sandy Sasso, which is really pretty funny. She's a rabbi. That's not me. <laughs> There's a rabbi, Sandy Sasso. I got an email. It's a quick story. I got an email one day from this gentleman. that said, Oh, I so loved your speech last night. It was so inspiring. And this and that. I'm going, What the heck is this about? And then I said, Uh-oh. I wrote back. I said, Sarah, I'm so sorry to disappoint you, but you're talking to Sandy Sasso, the jazz singer, not the rabbi.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> That's funny. funny. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> well, listen. Um, I've had a great time interviewing you. Um, You and I have been friends and colleagues for many, many years. Uh, I really admire everything you've ever done, still do. Um, And I say that from the bottom of my heart, and I I thank you uh, once again. And I I encourage everyone to go out there and listen to this great artist. She's got four great albums. Um, She is an excellent performer. She's a great producer, uh, composer. You got to listen to her compositions too. It's really wonderful, and hopefully in the in the future, uh, we're going to have some people in the audience that are going to come up to you and say, "Hey, I heard you on that podcast."
1: Well, that'd be fun. Well, Scotty, I can't thank you enough. First of all, to hang out with you for an hour is wonderful because we never get to do that just one-on-one. We're always squeezing a few conversations in on the bandstand. So this was an awful lot of fun for me, and I thank you for thinking of me and for all the kind words. I mean, really, you kind of blew me away there for a while, but I really enjoyed it. It was just great, and I hope this whole thing that you're putting together is successful and brings you much joy, and we'll see, right?
0: Well, thank you. You couldn't have been a better guest. I, I thank you so Aww. much. Thank you so much. You're welcome, honey. You're welcome. We'll talk soon. Take care, Sandy. Bye, dear. Thanks so much for joining me on today's show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and could hear why my guests got chops. Please spread the word to your family and friends about my podcast and if you would like to discuss Got Chops in between episodes, you can reach me on Instagram at GotChopsPodcast and on Twitter at Grimaldi Music. I can also be reached on Facebook, Scott Grimaldi, The Color of Midnight. My website is Grimaldimusic.com and the address for this podcast is anchor.fm slash Got Chops. Before I conclude with today's show, I'd like to share a catchphrase of mine that you'll probably hear me say quite often, for I truly believe it sums up what every artist has in common in order to achieve their chops. And it goes like this, it's not my way, it's the way it is. Join me on the next episode when we discover why my next guest got chops.